right, so today we are continuing with our sermon series, and we are in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up that one in the first four verses there. But today's sermon is titled, Radical Generosity. What are your motives? Okay. Um, leading up to now, Christ has confronted a lot of misinterpretations of the law. Uh, they were diminishing God's um, commands um, as it pertains to areas like murder or adultery or divorce or oaths or things like that. In chapter 6, he... Um, continues to bring up their acts of righteousness, prayer, fasting, giving, and how they were not doing what they should. The entire context for Christ's words, <coughs> excuse me, in 520 says, your righteousness needs to exceed even that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He warns us that we need to bear fruits that match our kingdom citizenship. Okay, so today we're focusing on giving. Um, I know a lot of times you hear a pastor up front talking about giving. What do we think about? Money, Money right, but that is not focused today. <gasps> I know all the oxygen just got sucked out of the room. But today we're focusing on your skills, on your time, your emotions, your intelligence, your intellect. Also, we will touch a little bit on money. Couldn't call myself a pastor if I didn't. All right. So, um, we're going to read the, uh, our passage now. So, if you wouldn't mind standing in honor of reading of God's word, I'd appreciate it. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you, do, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees secret, I'm sorry, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Father God, again, we thank you for your message. We thank you for your word that we're able to share with you what is on your heart, that we may know you better. I pray, Lord, as we go through today's message, that I would not be seen and only you would be heard. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. All right. First things first, God is a giver. He is absolutely a giver. He has given us life. He has given us breath. He has given us the ability to come to a building to worship him. It is everything that we have, uh, sunshine, rain, everything he has given. In fact, he gave his only begotten son to die for our sins. Um, when I first became a father, I struggled with that. Could I give my son for someone like me? That was a scary one. I couldn't do it. Thank God I'm not God. He gave his only begotten son. So previously in Matthew 5.48, he says, Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Christ teaches um, on giving right after the calling to be perfect like his father. So one of the ways that he aimed to be perfect like our heavenly father is through our giving. Generous giving. Radical giving, if you will. Chapter 6, he confronts the wrong manner in which they did their acts of righteousness. The, the giving, the praying, the fasting. 
um, the entire context in the words of 520, that if your righteousness does not surpass even that of the Pharisees of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he wants us to bear fruits that match up to our kingdom citizenship. So at 6, 1 through 4, he gives us principles on how to have radically generous lives. All right? So the big question here is, what principles can we discern about living radically generous lives? Well, I'm glad you asked because I happen to have three points. All right? So the first point is that we, as Christians, we need to practice giving as a spiritual discipline. What's a spiritual discipline? Reading your Bible, praying, fasting, giving. Um, I got some other things written down over here. Worship, duh. Um, Bible reading is more important. So your devotional life, the things that help you to be closer to God. Giving is one of those things. So when he says in, in verse 2, he says, Thus, when you give to the needy, it suggests that Christ says you are to be generous. You are to give. Okay, He didn't say if you want to give, if you give, but when you give. And again, it's not just about money. Okay, just one, I'll, You'll hear me say that throughout this entire time. It's not just about money. Uh, the Old Testament is very clear. It says, in Leviticus, it says, If your brother becomes impoverished and is indebted to you, you must, you must support him. He must live with you like a foreign resident. Do not take interest or profit or payments. You must fear, the, fear your God and love your brother, must, and your brother must live with you. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, There will never cease to be some poor people in the land. Therefore, I'm commanding you to make sure you open your hand to your fellow Israelites who are needy and poor in your land. Okay? There's always going to be someone that has a need. That's just part of life. All right? And it could be monetary. It could be emotional support. It could be they don't know how to do something, so you need to show them how to do it. That's giving. That's giving of your time. All right? Uh, the rabbis in that time, they would overemphasize the importance of giving, but their thing was you need to give more money. There's even some uh, books written that are in other religion Bibles that straight up say that your giving, the amount you give, will expedite or make payment for your sin. I don't get that one at all. If that's the case, then why did Christ die for us? But they would overemphasize that. He expects his people to be generous. Uh, later on in Matthew, he teaches that uh, the righteous um, would be in all Christians. And here's something I want you to hear. Giving will be their consistent practice and discipline. If you're like me, you have your moments to where you are definitely, where, where I definitely don't look like a Christian. Uh, you pull out in front of me, how dare you, don't you do it, I'm going to get her. Little road rage. Okay, we do other things in our life that are not Christ-like, but we faithfully pray to God and he forgives us and we try to repent that. Repent is asking for forgiveness and not doing it again. Well, that's harder than it sounds sometimes. But in this, it says it will be his consistent practice and discipline. 
meaning that even if you are just being as carnal as can be, you can still be consistent Christian through your giving. Okay? You're driving down the road. You're just in a rotten mood. You're ready to just rip somebody's head off, and you see somebody with a flat tire. You have a choice. You can stop and help them, or you can just keep on driving by. But as Christians, we want to be consistent in our giving and help that person. Um, I truly believe if you have the ability to help and you don't, you are in sin. Sorry. If you feel like someone's stepping on your toes, those aren't my feet. No one ever gets that one. You know. The Greek word here, forgive, is an act or a deed of mercy. Since believers have received mercy from God in their salvation, they will be known for their acts of mercy to others. So giving is a spiritual discipline. Well, how, how, Pastor Brian, how do we do that? How do we create giving as a spiritual discipline? Again, I'm glad you asked. So there are several things here. Christian giving naturally happens when Christ is truly first in our lives. Okay? So uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2-5, Paul describes how poor the Macedonian Christians were financially, but yet they still supported a struggling Jerusalem. He says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So first they gave to the Lord. Secondly, they gave to people. And though the Macedonian churches were extremely poor, they begged Paul to be allowed to be a part of what he was doing. So radical generosity is not rooted in what we have, but it's rooted in who we have. Okay? He said they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others. If God isn't first in our lives, then generous living is not going to happen. We are by nature selfish beings. Unfortunately, we see that a lot in society. Okay? People want to make all they can, put it in the can, sit on the can. Okay? That's what they want. Christians, we should not be that way. We need to be willing to show God's love through us so that when they see us, they go, why did you stop and help me change my tire at 20 below zero? Because I'm a child of God and I believe in helping people. What does that mean? Doors open. Okay. Secondly, if we want to be, um, have spiritual discipline, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> generosity as a spiritual discipline, it needs to be planned and it needs to be intentional. It does not need to be arbitrary. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. The fact that we need to decide in our heart implies that giving needs to be prayerfully and wisely planned. Okay? Um, our plan for giving should include regular offering, offerings to the church, uh, also 
to other ministries throughout. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.1 says, with regard to the collection of the saints, please follow the directions that I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not have to be made when I come. So at that time, Paul was telling them, hey, when I come, I don't want to bother with money. I don't want to think about money. I want to focus on preaching the gospel. I want to focus on teaching you more about the Lord, what the Lord has to say. So he said, plan ahead. This is Brian's slightly altered version. Plan ahead and have money set aside for the ministry purposes. But that also means you need to set aside funds for unplanned things, things that happen outside of what you can plan. And the key thing I want you to remind, point out here says that you need to give in keeping with your income and set aside money to give. So, yes, it's great to want to give to people, but don't do it to the extent that you get kicked out of your house. Okay, God does not want you homeless. Well, he might, but he'll let you know that. And I say that because missionaries, when they go to the field sometimes, are homeless. Their home is wherever they can find. I think uh, Garrett, in fact, was it Garrett? That was when he went out sharing the gospel with people, they were praying opportunity to stay with people in their homes. That's pretty much homeless, you know? But when you're there, you get to share the gospel. And that's very important. As the Lord provides income, whether it's every two weeks, once a month, we need to prayerfully give to the ministries of our local church. Um, and it's not just funds, it's also time. Um, think about it, trunk or treat. How many volunteers do we have to have for trunk or treat? A lot. Okay. What does that cost? Not too bad. Christmas Village. How many people do we have to have for that? A lot. Okay. So the average work week in America is what? 40 hours? If you're like me, 60, 80. You know, dad taxi runs all the time. But that being said... If we go with the averages, 40 hours a week, are we giving four hours a week to the Lord, to his ministries, to serving him? Four hours. Think, wow, where do I find an extra four hours? If you commit to doing it, he will show you. He'll show you exactly where you can spend that time. Uh, you know, for me personally, it means I may have to put my Facebook down, stop going through the reels, which is a Addictive, my goodness. I sat there the other day for an hour. I'm like, I just wasted my brain for an hour. Point is, four hours is not much. Okay? Ephesians 4.8 The one who steals must steal no longer, rather must labor doing good with his hands so that he may have something to share with the ones in need. So this verse suggests in sharing with other people through the church, through your ministries, through your time, through your intellect. Sometimes giving to someone is teaching them how to balance a budget. You know, growing up, I was never taught how to uh, balance a checkbook. 
I didn't figure it out till like my junior year of college. I'm thinking, oh, that's what that thing's for. Okay? Sometimes people are just not taught those things. I didn't know how to set a table either when my mom, when uh, I married my wife. I had to learn how to set a table. That's just an example of things that people don't get taught sometimes. And there may be something that you're an expert in that you might be able to help. You know, I have um, one of my best friends, his son just recently had to drop out of the engineering program because he couldn't pass differential equations. And I was like, ah, I wish I was there. I could help him. I tried to help over the phone, but it didn't work out so well. Uh, but point is, there's got to be someone in the church that can solve differential equations. There's engineers in here. You can help with that. You may think, oh, that's not going to help anybody. Well, they get through college and then can go serve in a community. Guess what? It does help. A uh, ministry that I have outside of the church is called Skilled Missions Alaska. Uh, we go out to the rural villages of Alaska and do basic home repair, and we teach people how to do that. And that is our platform for sharing the gospel. When we go in their homes to you know, fix an electrical problem or a plumbing problem, we get one-on-one time, and we get to share the gospel with them while we're there. And one of the slogans that we have is, everyone has a skill. Everyone has something they can share. If you're a carpenter, if you're a plumber, electrician, if you're a board toter, now my southern draw is coming out now. Board toter, you know what a board toter is? Someone who carries boards. That's a skill. No, point is the willing heart to go and share that. All right. So I get a question quite often is, um, Pastor Brian, can I give my church offering to um, John Smith over here? He just recently had a house fire. Well, first, that's not between me. I'm not the responsible for your finances. That's between you and God. Secondly, that's where the second fund comes into play. You have your regular church offering, then you also have your emergency fund for helping other people. What do you do with the emergency fund if you don't use it that month? Does that mean you get to go buy a new rod and reel? No, we roll it over. And that way you keep it there for when that emergency happens. In James, it says, when you face trials, well, you will have trials. It's just part of life. When people have those trials, you can help them out. Okay? There's um, a story I like to tell. There was a pastor uh, preaching a revival. Down south in the churches, the Baptist churches in particular, they have revivals which is basically a week-long service. Um, Every night you go in and hear an evangelistic message. You bring your friends, and hopefully they get to hear the gospel and will get saved. Um, But there's one pastor, he preached all week, and at the end of the week, um, um, a nice lady goes up to him and hands him $200. He goes, oh, well, thank you, I appreciate it, but we could just stick in the offering plate. She goes, no, no, I've already done that. This is for you. And he was was blown away and, and thanked her and um, he was a, a fisherman. He liked to go to the rivers and fish, and he was a fly fisherman, so he wanted this specific rod that was, um, coincidentally, $200. And so he's like, yes, I get my rod. I'm so excited. You know, and he's sitting there thinking about, okay, I get the rod. I can put the reel on it, and then I can go to the river tomorrow. I mean, he's got all these grand plans for this new rod and reel he's going to use. And then as he's walking out, there was a person at the door that had a need. I don't, I don't remember what the need was. Um, but it was pretty significant need, and they needed $200. 
He was struggling back and forth. He had the little angel and the little devil, you know, conversations going on. And um, he goes, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. So he gave the person the $200 and, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what God gave it to me for. I'm supposed to give it to this person. It was very clear. And so when he gets home, he's talking to his wife. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, this really nice lady gave me this cash. And I was going to get my new rod, but they had a need. So I gave it to them because she goes, that's really strange because we got a letter yesterday that had a check for four hundred dollars. Isn't that cool? God will take care of it, you know. Just be obedient to what He wants. So He calls us to be calls for our giving to decide in the heart. It needs to be prayerfully and wisely planned. Uh, the next thing for to have giving as a spiritual discipline is the offering needs to be in a joyful heart. Um, this pastor who gave us $200, did he have a joyful heart when he handed over the 200 I want to say yeah. I wasn't there. Uh, I hope he did. But, you know, um, 2 Corinthians 9-7 says he wants it to be done with a right heart, one of joy, since he loves a cheerful giver. It should not be given out of reluctance or compulsion or guilt. And let's make one thing very clear. God does not need our money. Okay? He doesn't need one nickel, one dime, one penny, if people even use them anymore. All right? He doesn't need one nickel. But he chooses to allow us to be a part of what he's doing through the act of worship of giving. Okay? Giving is an act of worship. Let me just say that again. Giving will, giving will be our constant practice and discipline. Okay? Christian giving needs to be sacrificial. Right? I love David. David in 2 Samuel says, I will not offer to the Lord, um, I'm sorry, not offer to the Lord my God burnt sacrifices that cost me nothing. So if it was a sacrifice, it had to be significant to him to do that. Um, Old Testament is very clear that they are not to bring any lame or diseased animals. And they were to offer a lamb without blemish. A perfect lamb is what to be offered. And think about it. In those times, that was their income. They had a perfect lamb. They could sell that one for more money and have more income for their family. And their families would then have... Uh, food to eat, a better lifestyle, things like that. But they knew that God demanded the best. Uh, Cain and Abel, excellent example of this. All right, Cain basically said, oh, well, here, I got a little bit left over there, God. You can have that. I'm exaggerating. Okay. Abel over here goes, here's my best. This is the best I have. He gave Jesus the prime rib steak for those of you who are vegetarian i'm sorry i'll pray for you okay but he gave god the best he had a lot of times in society within our churches within our four walls here we give what's left over and that's not what god wants he wants your best at all times um, and i'm speaking to myself there too i have a family of six sometimes I'm wondering, okay, do I have enough for food this week? Because they can eat. My goodness. 
but God has been faithful to supply. So don't read anything into that. Point is, our first income should go to him. Our first time should go to him. Uh, being bivocational, I struggle a lot of times with my other jobs and, and working here. I want to work here. That's all I want to do. And this one over here suffers because of that, but I have to balance the two to get it all done. But I make sure that what I make here will help support here. The church gets the first offering. And that's what we all need to do. Make sure that your giving is sacrificial and that it is your best. And then to have radical giving as a spiritual discipline, it should ideally be continually increased. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all eagerness, and in the love from us that is in you, make sure that you excel in this act of kindness too. So a lot of churches emphasize 10%. Okay, 10% of what we make needs to go to the church. Um, that's a good percentage to start with, but that's we're under the new covenant. And nowhere in the new covenant does it suggest a numerical value. Okay, if there is, somebody please show it to me because I haven't found it. Um, however, we do have teachings like 2 Corinthians 8, 7 that say that we need to continually excel in our giving. This means that 10% is a great place to start, but if you stay there at 10%, you're not really obeying the new covenant. Sorry, those aren't my feet. We should ask to excel in our giving, to expand our territory so that we can share more. 1 Corinthians 16 says that we should give according to the extent that God has blessed you. Uh, another translation says, in keeping with how he prospers you. So that means that some people are able to give more than 10%. Uh, some people are able to uh, give more of their time. They may have gone to, um, for lack of a better phrase, phase out of work. They've trained another manager to take their job, and they're able to retire. That way they can go and serve more. They may be able to go to Africa, like James. Uh, that's an amazing opportunity. Go to Pakistan, like Ryan. Uh, Garrett just got back from Egypt, I think. You know, these are amazing opportunities. That is how he has prospered them to go and serve. Um, and it is, again, it needs to be a sacrifice so sometimes we have to sacrifice that new iPhone or that, that new car that we really want. Still haven't gotten my Corvette, by the way. Um, it won't haul a family of six. <laughs> Point is, there's more important things than those. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with getting a new iPhone or a car or something like that. Just make sure that your giving is in line with that. And this is a, another Brian personal belief here, but I believe God gives people more so they can give more. Um, Thursday night, I talked about a young man that used to be in my youth group a number of years back. Uh, when he was in our youth group, he had some troubles. And, you know, kids have problems, part of life. Um, at one point, he had to go to a, a group place, and uh, we'd go visit, and I'd share with him. And uh, after he graduated high school, he went into the military. He was 
Delta Force, I think is what they call it. Yeah, he was he was a tough guy. He's six foot seven, by the way. He's just don't mess with him. Um, his first tour, his first assignment, uh, an IED went off next to him, and um, he says he got blown up. His words, not mine. All right. Um, as a result, he was medically discharged. Uh, Silver Star, Purple Heart, I mean, highly decorated young man. Uh, when he got out, he went to work for a business investment company and super, super intelligent guy, learned everything he could. He is 24 years old now. He owns a commercial um, acquisition business, which basically goes and buys these big buildings, flips them, and makes a ton of money. Um, his monthly average salary, you ready? $2.3 million a month. Okay? I can't fathom that. That's well beyond what I can think of. But guess what? He lives in a one-bedroom studio apartment. He drives a uh, Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. And he hasn't told me, but the word on the street is that he's given a ton to um, a nonprofit that builds houses for people in downtown Atlanta. So he has made so much money, but he doesn't care about it. It's not a thing to him. He wants to help other people. And that's a great example um, for all of us. Um, sometimes when we're uh, continually increasing our giving, sometimes there's tragedies. Obviously, you can't plan a tragedy. Uh, up in the village of Norwick this week, there was a house fire. Um, by the way, those of you who don't know, we send mission teams to Norwick every year to do um, a junior high camp and a vacation Bible school. And so we have an intimate relationship with Norwick. And so there was a house fire up there this past week. A mom and five children perished. Yeah. We know those kids from our VBS. And just, it breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart. Our church, our missions committee, has approved us sending uh, a $1,000 check to their family to try to help offset some of their cost. Is our church prepared to do that? I don't know, but they're willing. And that's sacrificial. And that's increasing what we should be spending. But I want to take a moment real quick, and I just want to pray for that family. So let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to you with a burdened heart. We come to you saddened that this has happened in that village. When things like this happen in the village, it impacts not only them, but all the area around them. I pray, Lord, for this family that's lost the loved ones. I pray, Lord, that your grace and your mercy would abound. I pray, God, that you would bring alongside these family members people that can minister to them. And sometimes it's just about being there. I pray, Lord, just for your love for that group. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Strive to excel in your giving. All right, so 
first part, our spiritual giving is, I'm sorry, our giving needs to be a spiritual discipline. Next, um, believers, we need to guard our hearts and have the right motives for our giving. He says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your heavenly Father. He warns the disciples not to practice their good deeds in front of other people so that they don't get uh, blown up or prideful or saddened. How does that make sense? Get saddened or depressed. What if I didn't do this right? What, what, what should I have done this wrong? Did, were people not happy with what I did? Second guessing, okay? That's not of God. Pridefulness is not of Jesus, right? Be careful, be on guard. There's a danger that comes along with all ministries. And by the way, every single person in the sound of my voice that is a Christian professes Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you have a ministry, you may or may not have discovered it yet, but you have a ministry, I promise you. So when you hear me use the word, um, comes along with all ministry, that's pointing to you and me. It's hard to do ministry without concerns about what people think about us or how they perceive our ministry. Uh, that's a stronghold for many who serve in public ministry. It's of great cause of discouragement or great pride. Both are problems as they are symptoms that prove our ministry is not being done for God alone. Our ministry should be for God alone. So that doesn't mean he needs to see, anybody else needs to see what we're doing. Uh, one of the things that I love to do as a youth group is I call it cooking people. You go up and you put a bag of cookies with a little note of encouragement on their doorknob, ring the doorbell and run. That way they, don't, they know kind of who it came from, but they don't know who it came from. They know it's a youth group thing, but they don't know who is responsible. But that's so much fun to do. You should try it. Uh, don't slip on the ice, though. When, when we would do this, it was in Georgia. We didn't have ice in Georgia unless it was in our sweet tea. So. Christ warns us of the reality, and we must all heed it. Seeking the praise of others instead of God was the primary sin of the Pharisees and the scribes. In John, it tells us that they loved to be praised. Praise of men more than God. And at one point, they're talking about, um, I'll get, yeah, they're talking about sounding the trumpet. He says, where is it at? Uh, in verse 2, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and the streets. So uh, John Calvin said that People, and in that time, they would go out and sound the trumpet to let the poor know that they were there and that they could get food or, or the needs that they had. But it was twofold. Their hearts weren't right. Yeah, they were calling the needy to come to them, but they also wanted people to see, oh, look at me, I'm doing this. But yeah, anyways. Point is, don't blow your own trumpet. Okay. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a victory in a ministry, um, but make sure that God's getting the credit for it and not yourself. Now, either way, his point, John Calvin's point, is that people wanted everybody to hear. Essentially, they cried out, look at how much I'm giving. Look how much I'm sacrificing. So, 
God's honor and pleasure must always be the primary pursuit, even before the benefit of others. Okay, so God needs to be honored, first of all. Um, second point of number two, yeah, I'm one of those people, sorry. Um, we need to guard our hearts' wrong motives, and we need to practice secrecy in performing them. All right? Um, in this particular time, he talks about the left hand not doing the right hand is doing. Um, in that time, most everybody was right-handed, and so they knew that they would be doing it over here, so this hand wouldn't know what they're doing. If you recall, Paul doesn't really share his visions or experiences until absolutely necessary, and it was beneficial for other people to learn from that. He didn't want people to think too highly of him. Our memory verse, this, um, again, I'm not good at memorizing, so I didn't actually realize this was our memory verse from last month about uh, city on the hill cannot be hidden in referring to believers are the light of the world. If you are a believer, you're not going to be able to hide what you're doing. People are going to want to see what you're doing, and they're going to want to flock to that. But again, make sure that they're not seeing you, they're seeing Christ. Uh, my prayer this morning was that I would be a lighthouse up here, that no one would really see me. They would only see Christ. So be that lighthouse. We need to immediately practice forgetting what we've done by not self-consciously dwelling on it. People who live in the past can't go forward. Yeah, we had a really, really great trunk or treat and a really great Christmas village. We ministered to a lot of people. We shared the gospel with a lot of people. But now let's move forward. How can we serve next? Let's not dwell on this and and celebrate this all the time. And, and when you get old like me, you start thinking, oh, remember back in high school, I threw the ball at 92 miles an hour. Yeah, those were the good old days. And, you know, I'm, I'm not 19 years old anymore. I can't throw it 92 miles an hour anymore. All right? So let's just move forward to see what I can do to serve the Lord. All right? So that's one of the things here. He says, um, he uses this metaphor to say that we should even hide our good works from ourselves. The point is that even though others might be unaware of our good works, many times we are still self-conscious of them. We continue to replay or replay our giving, teaching, serving, and other good works over and over in our heads. This can lead either to pride or insecurity. We either puff ourselves up thinking about how great we are, or we get really discouraged because we think we failed. You know, one thing I want to make clear is if God has called you to do something and you do it, you have not failed. You're not responsible for the action. I'm sorry, for the results. You're responsible for the actions. When you share Jesus with people, you're not responsible for them converting. You're responsible for sharing. That's your job. Okay? Leave it up to God to do the rest. Always prepare. Do your best to honor the Lord and help others but entrust the results and glory to God. All right. Believers need to pursue God's reward for, self, for selfless giving. All right. Christ encourages his listeners to practice secrecy in their giving for the rewards of God. And there's uh, several Old Testament uh, verses that I'm going to skip by because we're running short on time. 
Uh, as a general principle, our effectiveness in ministry correlates to our faithfulness and generosity with God's money. Luke 16.10, he says, One who is faithful in, every, in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little will also be dishonest in much. If you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? True riches are not on this earth. True riches are in heaven. If we keep that in our mindset, you'll be all right. How is God calling you to be a radical giver? That's a question we all need to be asking. Because again, we all can give something. We all have a skill to give. So just to kind of wrap this up, um, members of God's kingdom will be radical givers. Their righteousness will surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Three principles I want to remember is um, believers must practice giving as a spiritual discipline. Start somewhere. If you're not giving of your time, your money, education, resources, start. Start somewhere. Well, I'm, I'm so far behind on my tithe, I'll never catch up. Start today. Start tomorrow. I'm so far behind on, you know, I saw a t-shirt one time that says, I'm, I'm so far, if um, God doesn't let you get to heaven until you get all your stuff done, I'll never get to heaven because I'll never get done. I'm so far behind. Okay, point is, start somewhere. Two, guard against uh, wrong motives in their giving. Give because we get to. Okay? We are allowed to be a part of what he's doing. Give for that reason. Lastly, um, we need to pursue God's reward for selfless giving. Give without expecting get anything in return. Not on this side of earth, on this side of heaven. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray, God, as we finish out our service, that you would give us opportunities to serve. I thank you again for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.